Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Another Baseball America playoff podcast this morning, October 11th. John Mandel and J.J. Cooper joined by Matt Eddy. Matt, I, I, I just thought that you would be in more, uh, in your current family condition, I thought you'd be in uh, earlier more often than later, but it sounds like you need to sleep in sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I definitely know that feeling. But none of us... Uh, here on the East Coast was stupid slash pa- uh, crazy slash able to stay up for a game that ended at midnight Pacific time Ooh. last night with the Cubs I, and Giants. I, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, the whole thing where they say, what about the children and all? <laughs> what about the middle-aged men with families who exactly. can't stay up to... No, I, I, that was fine. It's a West Coast game. This happens during the regular season. It happened last night. I was happy to relive it um and i really did i tried to avoid like i i'd watch kind of like the highlights not knowing who won it which was kind of fun so right you know and that's and then so that's so we'll, we'll uh, start off by saying yeah we did not watch the end of the cubs giants game but you three made it to the, I watched, the I watched the eighth inning rally i stayed up to one that's pretty good i was working on uh, press releases and then i went <laughs> to sleep when i got done with the with the rookie of the year and player of the year press releases so those will be on baseballamerica.com Soon, um, but I could not stay up past that. I didn't make it to a world as Chapman, but we had some crazy things happen yesterday. Uh, we had the Indians sweep the Red Sox on the road in the finale and end the career of uh, David Ortiz. That was a tearful scene in Fenway Park. Uh, we had the Washington Nationals early in the day in a game, it seems like, <laughs> was forgotten by the end of the night. Uh, take a 2-1 series lead on the Dodgers, and you know, Jason Wirth and his playoff beard he's been growing for however many years now um how about the home run that jason worth hit off kenley jansen 450 feet that ball was hashtag crushed and finally we have this other game so the national league jj's where all the drama is right now right. the american league the championship series already set up the shapiro bowl is mark shapiro present in toronto versus mark shapiro past in cleveland and it is set up and you know, I, I kind of want to do want to start with the National League because it's still kind of going on. And and 
Sorry, maybe that's not what we talked about before we started. It's okay. I, can't no, remember. I said you go wherever you want uh, to go. But, but I'm fascinated. Last night, obviously, was the, the great game. We'll get to it on the, the, the Giants and uh, Cubs, and that was a great game. That's been a fun series so far. It's pitcher home runs. I mean, we you know, it's got everything. But starting with the uh, Nationals-Dodgers, I'm kind of fascinated. Matt and I talked a little bit about this before you came in this morning. So we And last I checked, no answer had been given as far as how the Dodgers are going to set up their pitching staff for the final two games. Still to be determined to my recollection and, this morning because I looked. And essentially what I find fascinating about this is, is that the question is, do you start Clayton Kershaw on short rest in game four and then go Julio Urias to start game five? Or do you start Julio Urias, normal rest, or plus, I guess, right. in game four, and then Clayton Kershaw on normal rest in game five, and the logic being, well, we need to win game four, so we want our best guy. In the, I, I don't, I guess, I don't understand that in some ways from the standpoint of you're going to have to win both of those games anyway. You're going to have to have Julio Urias pitch reasonably well for you, whether it's game four or game five. Why not? If you pitch Urias in game four, the one thing you lose is Rich Hill who in game five on short rest would be able to kind of backfill some innings behind him, probably can't do that in game four, or probably shouldn't do that in game four. But isn't the that argument the same argument? It's a similar argument to, uh, I mean, you, you, you argue for, not you specifically, yeah. general. When people argue for bringing in the reliever early, it's because you want to win that game. All you're mm-hmm. worried about is that game, and you can't wait. But you're not talking about necessarily winning game four. You're talking about winning game four and game five. And to me, that's the argument for using Kershaw is the fierce urgency of now. You must win game four. I worry about game five when I get to game five. So you're kind of arguing against that, which I think is usually why you would argue for using the reliever. The reason I make that argument is this. I think if all things were equal, if I can use Clayton Kershaw on full rest in game four, or full rest in game five, use them in game four. But you may, yeah, but you may not have game five to get to. That's the whole point for me. Is that's the If you use Clayton Kershaw in game four, that has to be your argument is, I don't give a damn about game five. I'll give a game damn about game five when I guarantee there's a game five. For that reason, if I'm managing that way, which evidence is that Dave Roberts is managing that way because he's oh, deployed Kenley. Game four. So I think he's going game four. And I love that when he was on the way out of the clubhouse, he just said, I'm not going to tell you guys. <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you. I think there's kind of a side element here involving Julio Urias, who's 19, maybe he turned 20. Yes. Uh, he pitched a little bit better at home this year. Right. He gave up five home runs on the road, zero at home. ERAs are similar. Whip is a little lower at home. So I think there's a comfort factor, too, built into that decision. I think there's that. And the other part of it, the reason that there is some doubt baked in here, in my mind, is that he is 20 years old, just turned 20 in August, and the Dodgers are very concerned about his long-term as well as his short-term. But I think that when they discuss Urias, when they consider him, I think they're considering his long-term as much, if not more, than his short-term. I, I, you know, I, I don't think there's a question, and that's why... Uh, but, I, but I do think the other part of it is there's no game five unless you win game four. So for me, if that's how, and that's, I, that feels like that's how all these managers treat it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen Terry Francona be so aggressive yesterday with the use of his bullpen, which nearly backfired on him, but 
It didn't. It didn't. It and didn't, they're... and they lived to play another day the same way that you know John Gibbons and the Blue Jays used their pull, bullpen very aggressively in Game 3, well, even with a two-game lead. Th- this fits back to what we are talking about. I called up the stats here. So here are... <laughs> Here are the, we talked about, we blew it by innings, but we talked about how in the playoffs now we reach the point where if you're not an ace or if you're even an ace who doesn't have it that day, we're talking in terms of 12 to 15 outs. Maybe, maybe we'll give you 16, 17. We've That's seen Bum, both Bumgarner and Kershaw, two of the top 10 pitchers in the game by any definition, if not the top five, both with five inning starts. Right. And both their teams were like, good enough. You right. know, we'll take it. Well, yesterday, Maeda... We got who, Derek Hall. They're good. That's right. <laughs> but Kenta Maeda yesterday, who did not look great. Malo. But three innings. So we got three innings from him. We got 3.1 from David Price, who did not look good. <laughs> we got 3.1 from Cole Hamels. We got 3.2 from Kyle Hendricks. Okay, in his case... Mitigating circumstances. You take a ball off, you know, much like the Francisco Liriano corollary, if a ball comes back and hits you... It's a flesh wound. Um... Four innings from Clay Buckholz, 4.1 from Tanner Wark, 4.1 from Chris Tillman, 4.1 from Rick Porcello, 4.1 from Gio Gonzalez, 4.1 from Rich Hill, 4.2 from Trevor Bauer, 5 from Hugh Darvish, 5 from Josh Tomlin, 5 from Clayton Kershaw. Hold on a minute. 5 from Josh Tomlin. That's the, who does that belong to? <laughs> in, in Fenway. Josh Tom, in Fenway, on the road, given an early lead, and pitched deep enough for the bullpen. Josh Tomlin, who what we just talked to Brad Grant about the other day from their 20... 2011, no, 2009 draft. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. But this was a guy who we were going back through that draft class, and it's like, I mean, I just skipped right over him. And he was like, oh, don't forget. Clint's in the background telling me, don't forget Josh Tomlin. So, I mean, that, that, that's, you're, you're reading this list of essentially starters who failed. I mean, we haven't gotten to a quote-unquote quality start yet. None of these would be satisfactory in a Strat League playoff series that Matt Eddie just won again. But um, it, was five, a, it was actually the 2006 draft for Josh Tomlin. He's been around the block. But five for Jay Happ, 5.2 for Aaron Sanchez, six, six. We're six for Marcus Stroman. Six at this point. Jake Arrieta, six. And and, and the three run bomb. Max Scherzer, <laughs> six. And then when you talk about starters who've gone seven, Noah Syndergaard, Corey Kluber have gone seven, and Madison Bumgarner, who's Nine. pitched. Who went nine and then five. Now Fourteen, yes. Yeah. And then Johnny Cueto eight, John Lester eight, Marco Estrada eight point one. The point being Marco Estrada. It is the point I mean, playoff ace. He's he's gone the second deepest that any player. But the point being, we really are we we focus on the starters, but it really it is amazing to me. We are talking about nowadays it is twelve somewhere between Nine on the short end and 15 outs that you were expecting to get out of your bullpen during each of these games. A playoff quality start, like the st- quality start for a playoff series, seems like it should be lowered almost to four innings. Like if you get 12 <laughs> outs, you done good. I mean, for most of these teams, man, I mean, you're the expert here on roster construction and the trend toward the bullpen. Do you think this, did this evolution in the play, in the way playoff starters are yanked so quickly, did that happen because managers have these deep bullpens and aren't afraid to use them? Or is it because starting pitching is just so much harder now to do? It's a harder job than it was, say, a generation ago. Yeah, I think it's it's probably that. Tony La Russa in 2011, I think, watching that Cardinals team, the way he navigated that postseason, where he had – he leaned heavily on a bullpen. 
think that is playing a role. You know, just the enhanced more and more innings go to relievers in general now also plays a role. You definitely see it's like imitation of successful strategies. Like you see like organizations like the Rays and Pirates, you know, kind of hold pitchers back from a third time through the lineup. I think we, that, that is in sharper focus in the playoffs. You definitely saw last year where a guy was allowed to go a fourth time through a lineup um, <laughs> with a World Series on the line, and it didn't turn out well at that time with Matt Harvey, and then it didn't turn out well this year oh. <laughs> with how Matt Harvey didn't bounce back from that high usage last year. I mean, like I, I think you have so few examples of Bumgarner and so many examples of where you go to the bullpen aggressively, whether it's the Royals or the Cardinals or other playoff examples. Or, or the, the Giants in 2014 with here comes Jeremy Affelt in the second inning and here comes Bumgarner in the fifth, you know. That's an interesting point that starters are being asked to do more because the playoffs last longer, a little more pressure probably than they used to be. The job is harder. Yeah. I think the job of playoff starter is harder now than it used to be. So when you find someone, but, so, that, so when you see someone who makes it look easy, that's pretty incredible, I think, as a fan. When you see a starting pitcher... Against the playoff lineup, no matter if he's been staked to an early lead or not. When you saw Kluber against the Red Sox, they got an early lead and he just put his foot on their proverbial throat and kept them at bay and went deep in the game when his team needed him to do that. That kind of puts that, I think you have to really put that in some perspective. Historically, like that's harder to do than what guys did 15, 20, 30 years ago in the postseason. For me, it's just harder because uh, hitters today, when, when they fail against you, they go in the tunnel in between innings or whatever, and they can look at how they failed and go over spray charts and go over everything, the defense's alignment. They're just so – just such a high – it's just a harder job, I guess is what I'm saying. I think being a starting pitcher today – I think that's why we see this Wait, trend, I, JJ, I, is that being a starting pitcher in the playoffs is a harder job progressively every single year. And the other part of it is, is kind of what you touched on, which is is that we now have numbers. We see how much teams can quantify how much of a penalty there is for pitchers going through a lineup the third time. It's not, it's a combination of fatigue and the comfort level that you get. The advantage switches more and more to the hitter the more you've seen a guy, generally. That's fine. More runs are scored in the first inning generally because it's the top right. of the lineup. So therefore, right. when that phenomenon happens a third time, well, and that's the key thing. That's the it thing. Is, it's really pretty. It's it's not counterintuitive at all. It's extremely no. intuitive. Right. It is. <laughs> it, it it is. It's the it's the part where you talk about how bullpens are used now. The funny thing about it is, is and Cody Allen last night was on fumes when he made it through the ninth <laughs> what's, inning. What's beyond fumes? But but the thing that he that really was true though is that. And he got lucky to survive the eighth as balls were smoked and smoked and smoked. Oh, and by the way, I could, go on a, I could go on a, a, a ten-minute like digression on Coco Crisp's arm or lack thereof. And how... did, you, did you get to see any of that last night? I did not. I was, I was occupied during that. Coco Crisp's arm. I mean, that's the that, new, that's the how new often, 20. How often, <laughs> I mean, like, I've always how often used... have you seen an outfielder pulled basically in the middle of an inning? Mid-throw. Like pretty much, I mean, he should have. Been. I mean, because I, I if love they, it. if they had like a long enough like shepherd staff to reach out of left field and yank him off Apollo, the, the Apollo style, they'd have done it. And Coco would have had could have set the clown out there. Apollo, it's, it would have been because because his arm, 
I mean, like, seriously, it's like Johnny Damon-esque. No, I, it was I, really I, that I, bad? I would, I would say it may No, it's not bad. <laughs> it's, not, it's not worse than Damon's. I, I still think Johnny Damon <laughs> is the absolute but, worst throwing arm I've ever seen. But Coco last night, the picture that sum, summarized it, and you should look for this on, online. Yeah, we it, was a, it. it was a line drive single to left with Mookie Betts and in second. And it's Fenway. At Fenway, so he's playing shallow, mm-hmm. and he knows the outfield. And Mookie Betts isn't even to third base yet, and they're windmilling him. And Coco knows this. And Coco has he, the ball. He charged it aggressively. He has the ball before Betts gets to third base. And his throw to shortstop took too long. And, and Mookie comes in. I mean, like, so... But he didn't even try to throw. I mean, he didn't even, like... like this. Is yeah, he not, didn't make, like, an aggressive throw to short. Right. He did not go, like, I'm going home with it. It was like, I can't get him. And that well, was, he didn't even make an aggressive throw to the cutoff. And man. that follows. It's after, like the, the Indians checked out. We don't try to get anyone out when Coco throws. And it follows after previously. <clears throat> he's a had, plus four. But, I was going to say he's a plus four arm. <laughs> previously, you had the situation where Francisco Lindor had run out there to use a John, one of John's favorite. It was basically it like was Carlos Jed Lowry. Quentin. Yeah, <laughs> Jed Lowry with Carlos Quentin, who needed TJ at the time. 2003 series never Lind- gets better than that. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Lindor who made the cutoff, but Lindor runs pretty much into left field on Benintendi's double off the, I mean, you know, ball off the wall. And then, so Coco is pretty much asked to make a... 50 to 70 foot, like, can I just get it to him? And that was loopy, which was the difference between yeah. them getting there in time. He has to be hurt. I mean, but it's unbelievable. How, how could his arm be that bad how that we o- never noticed this? But how often do you have you ever seen, because after that play, they went to the pen, and when they did that, they were like, also they were like, no, and Coco, you're out of the game. We cannot. It was one of those rare cases where a team looked at it and said, we can't leave this outfield arm out there. It's I love hurting that us too much. defensive substitutions. Yeah, and yet Coco also hit a two-run homer yeah. and was well, was a big hit in the game. And let's think about this. The Indians are in the American League Championship Series despite the Carrasco injury, despite the Salazar injury, and despite the fact that their outfield all year has been patchwork. I mean, now it's mostly Chisholm Hall, Rajai Davis, uh, or Naquin, and then Coco. Those are their four outfielders. None of those guys are championship profile starters, outfielders at this stage of their career. Naquin None maybe eventually, but not right. now, not now. He, he's close. Yeah. Naquin's close. I'm not probably not giving Naquin enough credit. Yeah, good I should enough give him. A, I should give him more credit. So one of them is, but like if if you saw the Indians in the ALCS at the beginning of the year, which a lot of people did, you would have thought Michael Brantley would have come back from his shoulder injury healthy and productive at least in the second half, or you would have thought either Carrasco or Salazar or both were big reasons why. I would have believed that. In fact, I might have been on Team Indian. I don't remember. But mm-hmm. they're doing it without those guys, which does tell you, to me, that's pretty impressive. And now Salazar threw a bullpen. He's going to try to be on this uh, on this staff in the ALCS. That's an intriguing matchup in, in Shapiro Bowl. Um, i got to be honest. I, I do, like I said this yesterday, JJ, I feel like the Blue Jays were a, a, a World Series championship caliber team last year. Right. Didn't win it. I almost feel like even though they're not as good as last year, they're maybe a little bit more battle-tested, a little tougher. And I think there is this little extra with Batista and Encarnacion as impending free agents. There's a little, like, if not now, it's now or never kind of vibe around the Blue Jays. So is it just Ryan Goins being <laughs> being, not, being on the bench that makes you think they're not as good? <laughs> I suppose that is it. I blame it all on Goins. But, I mean, they're, not, they're again, a team of... Uh, but, but the mark of Mark Shapiro is on both these clubs. It feels like more so... In Toronto, after only a year and a half, the Indians 
Chris Antonetti's kind of remade that but, club in a lot of ways. Say that with the, but see, I would start with the Blue Jays. I would say not really because this is. I, I really look at this and say this is still the, the AA constructed team. But the whole pitching staff, the rotation's pretty different. I mean, they made the decision to re-sign uh, what's his name, Estrada, but Hap. I don't know if Alex Anthopoulos and those guys, would they have had Sanchez in their starting rotation still, or would they have put him in the bullpen? I don't know. They did draft Stroman, but Jay Happ was new for this team. It feels like they did. They had to redo the whole pitching staff from last year. It was Price, and I don't remember who their other uh, key playoff starter was. Estrada. But, right, Estrada. And they, I know they started Stroman, but I thought there was someone else in the rotation as well that I'm forgetting. But, but, same, but I mean, that, most of those guys were AA-acquired guys. Like you can, say, you can say that Sanchez may have been in a different role, but... He was also groomed. You're right. So, You're right. I'm thinking I, I too much of the org- I'm doing their top 30 right now, and I'm looking at how differently they operate as an organization now than they did under A. But you're right. The big league roster is, in many ways, the same roster. I mean, they, they're, you're right. they're there because Josh, they made the, <laughs> heist, we, yeah. the heist of the decade in, in Josh Donaldson. You know, and <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry so, to any A's fans who are listening. So I really who, am. Who do, who do we like in this series, looking ahead? I mean, I, I th- I, obviously, I kind of lean Toronto, even though I do think Cleveland, at full strength, I think is the better team. But I do lean Toronto. Uh, I have a few more ways to beat you. And I, this, so much of this is postseason has shown, as JJ talked about yesterday, you score with the home run. Um, so I, I like their offense significantly better. That said... I hope Roberto Osuna gets some rest you know, <laughs> for, for, the, for the Blue Jays' sake. Or some more cupping, at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to look like Michael Phelps when he comes on the mound. You know, so that, that, my wife was noticing that the other day, and I didn't notice it, that he had huge, that on Huge his, hickey on the back of his, above his right shoulder. It was snap. definitely, uh, it, it was straight out of Brazil, straight out of Rio. The one thing is, though, the Indians have a lot of left-handed power. Progressive field plays well for left-handed power. Blue Jays have a lot of right-handed pitchers hmm. in general. Hmm. You know, so Jay had better come I, I, correct. I think it's a pretty good, yeah. I think it's a pretty good matchup for the Indians. The other part of it is just that I, I, I do agree. If you you look at it right now, I'll probably say the Blue Jays have the slight edge, pure talent wise. But at the same yeah. time, again, it's the playoffs. If you asked me the Red Sox versus the Indians, it wouldn't have been close. I mean, and G- given the Indian state, yeah. given the Indian state right now, and they just absolutely smoked the Tito, Red Sox. Tito Power. Well, it's like to, 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 TFCO to the Red Sox offense which uh, was the best offense in baseball all year, Matt, and they scored seven runs in the ALCS. Not and essentially, Cody Allen and Andrew Miller, even on fumes, even not on their 100% of their best, you were just talking about Andrew Miller yesterday, like, wow, how did he give up eight home runs? And then Mookie Betts w- uh, hits a ball that would have been a home run, I think, in most parks, uh, off the t- high up off the monster. He nearly gave up his ninth home run of the year. I mean, the guy gave up, came in and gave up a Brock Holt double. So he's somehow he's dominant and vulnerable at the same time. It's just, hashtag baseball, I guess, right? <laughs> I was gonna say. I mean, this is the same day that Arolas Chapman also gives up a basically the the key hit to a left-hander. I mean, that you know to... that doesn't happen often. How about so, that's so that kind of you were talking about talent. You know, the Cubs and the Giants. I think you look at the roster to roster. I mean, the Cubs' talent, I think it's a pretty big talent gap. And the Giants win with a game-tying hit or a huge hit to go from behind to ahead with Connor Gillespie, alias Connor Glassy, alias Connor Gillespie, off Chapman, and then Ty Block with a big yeah. uh, performance out of their bullpen. These are not two guys that you would have picked to I'm be not, the big winners for the Giants. I'm going to give them the Giants' rotation advantage. Yeah. Ex- putting aside Samarja. 
It's but it, it's. I mean, Cueto and Bumgarner are about as excellent as you can get. That's right. In a playoff series, those top two versus and Matt Moore. We'll see. We'll, we'll, find, we'll out. find out. We're about to find out. Is it going to be Matt Moore versus Texas from 2011, or is it going to be Matt Moore for most of the rest of his I, career? I, I, feel, I feel like I feel confident saying it will not be Matt Moore versus Texas because that's about as good as you could be. I mean, that's that threw me. <laughs> I, I saw that and thought that Matt Moore was going to be the shizzle. I mean, I really did. <laughs> and I saw that start and I just thought that Matt Moore was going to be, you know, I mean, but, but I, the I thought he was going to be John Lester. High level offense. Cubs do. They do have yeah, a high level a, offense. And last night it was pretty much muzzled. I mean, the big hit they had were Bryant with the game tying home run, but Arietta earlier. I mean, they have two home runs by pitchers in this series uh, by Arietta and Travis Wood. Um, Travis Wood home run did you know did not surprise me that much because we've always talked about Travis Wood really good athlete did, for a pitcher and Arietta too. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not so I'm not surprised that they have productive hitters. I'm just surprised <laughs> that they hit home runs in the playoffs, especially first Arietta one, off Bumgarner. First one. First team to have two pitchers hit a home run in a series since 1924 in the playoff series. I did not know that. New York Giants, 1924. I'm going to guess that you read that on Jason Stark's Twitter feed. I don't know where I read it, but I did not look that up myself. I okay. promise you that. I was going to guess that came through Jason Stark. Um, Nationals and Dodgers, any thoughts to you guys on, on the Nats-Dodgers beyond who starts game four? I am a little bit impressed by the Nationals. I thought the Nationals were in trouble without Wilson Ramos. Yes. And they're winning this series. Uh, that was a pretty big win yesterday on the road, I thought. They beat Rich Hill. Not so impressed with Rich Hill. Yeah, that was uh, that. That might. I mean, how much does that start on a tangent? Since that's what podcasts are for me. How much does that start affect Rich Hill's free agent case? I mean, he's one of the. It's a constricted market. A lot of teams could use a starter, and he's I, one of the. He might be the best starter I, on the free I, I agent was market. I say it doesn't affect it much at all. I mean, because even in that start, if you are looking at it at the big picture, he did strike out seven in the first three innings, which is pretty hard to do, and. You just hit on the big thing, which is there's no pitching. There's almost no pitching going to be on this free agent market. So there's going to be more uh, more demand than supply. The, and, and it works in his favor for sure. On, the, on what your take is on, on Rich Hill, he said it wasn't – game two, not a great look for him. It was just – that Espinosa at bat was just – you can't put Danny Espinosa on base. That guy I know, is, you, I know it's 8-9 coming up next, but you just can't do that. That guy's eminently pitchable. He's, he doesn't – he can't hit left-handed off-speed. Just get him out. That's all. That's really... You, you had one job. Get this guy out who has 170 hit, strikeouts every year. And he basically. hit him with a pitch twice in, in big spots. So. That, By the way, they, the, the, hit, the hit that he got... The, the, hit, the HVP yesterday was... It, that was... Espinosa gets, gets hit by Maeda, and it was a strike. I mean, it was... That was one of those like just annoying little things that was like... I don't know if it hit him, actually. But beyond that, if you get hit on a strike... It's a strike. It doesn't, you know, it should not. Robot umps. JJ wants robot umps. Do you think, how would the robot ump uh, That would have actually that? still have been a call. Like, it would have been listed. But you know what, though? <laughs> it would have been listed as a strike. So that would have given the umpire the information. Oh, so the umpire could have, would have seen strike and said, stay right here yeah. to Danny Espinoza. And Danny Espinoza would have kicked on, the robot on, ump. Only in concert with Robot Jim. Do I want to see robot <laughs> umps? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could top that. So... We've got two National League Division Series games yet to go. The American League Championship Series is set up. So we have a lot more podcasts to go. You can always reach us on the, on the Twitter machine. Uh, Matt is at Matt80BA. JJ's at JJCoop36. I'm at John Manuel BA. If you want to go old school and use electronic mail, podcast at baseballamerica.com is still, still the email address. First. And that's right. So, Matt, I don't know if you know this, but Thursday will be the 10th anniversary of the first. Ever Baseball America podcast, which I just downloaded and listened to yesterday. 
And I was talking about how awesome uh, Justin Verlander was in the playoffs for the Tigers. But then I said how the Tigers were set up for a long time here with their pitching with Verlander and Zamaya and Jordan Tate and somebody else. And it's embarrassing. It was 10 years ago. And if you aren't... uh, if you don't make predictions, if you if you aren't if you're afraid to be wrong, then you won't make predictions of baseball because baseball is going to prove you wrong. So you can go back and listen to that. I, and I don't know how I found it. I think I actually had to Google. I think I googled. Oh, that's it. It's our press room. Media slash podcast. You were just going Baseballamerica.com slash today slash media slash podcast, and it has every single podcast that we have done over the last ten years uh, are all available right there. Jordan Tata. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> the guy who threw a million. He was ahead of his time. He was all cutters. He was basically, he should have been, he should have been put in the bullpen. Um, like Joel Zamaya, who, I mean, the guy who hurt his arm playing Guitar Hero, that was the Allegedly, same. Yeah. Or throwing 100 miles well, an hour. Well, I was going to say, I think, I'd say the big thing for Joel Zamaya is he, he threw 100 miles an hour when that was a really uh, uh, crazy thing to do. That's true. You man. know, back, back when it wasn't, you know, just like something that everyone does. I think we have him to blame for everything. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he did it with a delivery that. Could uh, slightly be described as violent. We we also I would recommend that you go back to the December twenty second two thousand six podcast so you can hear JJ Matt Myers and Alan Matthews where they did uh, predictions for the next year where JJ went into full Conan mode and gave you his in the <laughs> year two thousand voice. At some point, but uh, it's pretty awesome. But uh, that does remind me to do just a little tangent because these are a very tangential podcast. It is going to be cool for us to see. We talk. I talked a little bit on Twitter last night. So for the Blue Jays, we have area scout Chris Klein, who actually uh, played a part in the Blue Jays getting there. He, you know, he was the signing scout on multiple first rounders for them, who generally have been uh, traded. Jeff away. Hoffman, who was traded yeah. for sure. That's um, the one I can think of. Yeah, Jeff Hoffman. Sorry, multiple picks, but Jeff Hoffman, who was traded away, you know, that helped them kind of put all this together. Charlie Lewitsky trade. Uh, so. And then uh, Alexis Brodnicki, who's uh, been working at BA in a variety of you know roles, and interned with us back in uh, 2010. There's her notebook. Here's her diary of her of her uh, of her internship for her master's degree right there, which is all written in Comic Sans font, which nice is uh, shocking. It was shocking at the time. Um, it remains shocking. But so, Shock we have, so, we have, worn off. so we have BA alums with the Blue Jays. We have, okay, let me make sure I get everyone right here yeah. with the Indians. So with the Indians, we have uh, Connor Galassi, area scout, who was, Connor obviously helped uh, spearhead our uh, high school. Worked here for five years as so, our draft in high school. And one yeah. of the signing scout for uh, Logan Ice. And, Correct. And Supp- one of, second round or supplemental first? Or I think supplemental second. And one of the nicest guys that anyone will, will ever come across. Uh, Absolutely. Don't make me cry. Uh <laughs> I'm going to go to Clint next, and now it's going to that's guaranteed. I've girded myself for the so Connor Clint Clint, Clint, Clint Longnecker, who uh, spearheaded our draft coverage for uh, a couple of years, and now uh, works in the uh, in the front office for the Indians on their working with assistant their, scouting director. Assistant scouting director. So then also uh, former BA interns Mike Kanan, who was assistant scouting director last year, now an area scout, and I think had three players that he was area signing scout for the. First ten rounds. I know Nolan Jones is one of them. Former BA intern Andrew Krause. Right. And uh, who's a area scout for them now? Also, Andrew also worked at uh, Perfect Game. We can't take all the credit right. for Andrew, but Andrew was a great intern here. I think it was summer of 2014. Might have been 2012, 13, somewhere in there. It was the same summer as Clint. Actually, he just was shifted later. And Andrew did a. Andrew works his butt off. I'm pretty impressed with Andrew Krause. 
since he was here. What was the Buxton game? draft year? Because he was with us. That at was that. 2012. He was with us okay. after that game in Burlington. Oh, okay. There you go. 2012. That's right. He was. Yeah. Burlington Elizabethan. That game was epic. And uh, Matt Foreman, who, again, to get John verklempt, uh <laughs> all, Matt, the... all Matt Foreman did was beat stinking cancer. So And file top 30s while beating Doing cancer. chemotherapy, he did a top 30. <laughs> That guy's my hero. I mean, he's just so, incredible. So thank you, Indians, for making us look good. And then, Absolutely. And then, with the Dodgers still in the uh, in the playoffs, we also have a former BA staffer who covered, who did our high school slash draft coverage, Alan Matthews, who was here. Speaking of, what that made me good. think of it when we did the year 2000, <laughs> that was it. Alan Matthews, because Alan Matthews, and if you listen to the first podcast that Baseball America ever did, the intro is done by Alan Matthews because he was a former uh, radio announcer Hello, for the baseball South Georgia fans. fans. Because <laughs> he was the radio announcer for the South Georgia Waves. So. He was. Alan uh, did uh, for the Wilmington Waves, and uh, then they moved to South Georgia Waves, and now they're the who? Where is that franchise? So that would have been... Are they the Bowling Green Hot Rods? Hot Rods. I mean, I get conf- it's hard to keep the track. because it, It's very cause, hard to keep track because of Because it was the Dodgers affiliate at the time. What now? That's but, right. But, the, point, uh, the point being, Alan uh, was a baseball guy and a radio guy when he came here, and now he's a cross-checker for the Dodgers and an accomplished guy who's, as an area guy with the Rockies, signed Charlie Blackman. So, uh, you know, all those guys, um, we're better for having worked with them, A, and B. Um, oh, and, and, they all uh, are making a mark in professional organizations. And, Pretty and obviously, to wrap it, because I know they just got eliminated, but Josh Boyd, Pro He's scouting. the godfather of all that. Right. For the godfather of all that, pro scouting director for the... Uh, now I think he's actually... His title's been bumped up above that. Yeah, but. I think so. He might be player personnel for the Texas Rangers, but he's been a scout since spring of 2004. So um, Josh was the first guy who was hired out of here to go be a scout by any team that I can... Maybe, maybe it happened before I was here, but in my day, he was the first one. Signing scout on Mitch Canham for the Padres? He is the sign. He's also the signing scout on you, Darvish. He's one of, like, four, so... And uh, Barnett, uh, and uh, I, I think he's been involved in a lot of that. So, Matt Bush? <laughs> uh, maybe. I'm not sure who has their penal coverage, <laughs> their penal league coverage. So um, we're but very fortunate to have worked with all those guys and and, it does make it, and Alexis as well. Um, and it does make it fun. Like, I mean, it's something where there's it's almost like required now. Like, and Alexis the, is going to scout school this fall, so she might be the next one to have worked here somewhat and then gone into uh, gone into the game. And she's earned... Her place by just grinding it out like crazy. She, she was there the day. <clears throat> excuse me. She was there the there the day in Florida when uh, when Brady Aiken got hurt because it was against the Ontario Blue Jays and she was down there with the Ontario Blue Jays. So if it's baseball and it's Canada, it's meet Alexis Brodicki. So I'm borrowing Chuck, borrowing Chuck uh, Chuck Todd's uh, meet the press stuff. So all right, that was enough introspection for one podcast. But uh, good luck to all of our alumni in the postseason and enjoy it. I uh, hope you enjoy these podcasts. Let us know, podcast at baseballamerica.com or on Twitter. So for Matt Eddy and J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you tomorrow on the next BA Podcast. So long, everybody.